Today is Monday, July 29th, and this is Daily Perspective from Politics NC. I'm Kirk Kovac in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thomas is on the phone with us in Carborough, I think. Thomas, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right. Um, so the the big controversy over this past weekend and sort of pouring into the beginning of this week has been the president's comments about Baltimore um, and the district that Elijah Cummings represents. And there is a North Carolina connection to this because this is something I did not know personally until a few months ago. But Elijah Cummings and Mark Meadows, who's a representative from North Carolina, are pretty good uh, friends personally, even though they're about as far apart politically as you might be with someone. So we know Elijah Cummings had spoke in defense of Mark Meadows a few months ago when he was uh, called racist by someone. I can't remember exactly who, but you wrote about that today and basically how the the flip side of that equation has not been the case now that uh, Elijah Cummings has come under fire from the president. So could you talk through what you wrote today? Yeah, I, I didn't say a whole lot. I just noticed that, you know, when when Mark Meadows was getting attacked for being racist, um, Elijah Cummings came to his defense and said, look, I've known this guy for a long time, and I know he's not racist. You know, so this weekend, Trump, it looked like kind of random uh, attack on Cummings, comes out and blasts. Cummings District says that it's it's full of rats and it's not fit for humans to live in. Well, that's pretty insulting to the people who live in his district. But when you look a little bit further, what you realize is it's because Cummings uh, committee, he, he's chair of the oversight committee, that's uh, subpoena, subpoenaed records of emails and texts from people within the White House, including Ivanka and uh, Jared Kushner. And according to what the press is saying, some of those emails and texts could be very embarrassing to the White House. So Trump goes after Cummings and basically, you know, trashes his district, says you hadn't taken care of your people. And, you know, nobody's coming. No Republicans are standing up to his defense. In fact, the, 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 on social media, they're all coming to Trump's defense, blasting Baltimore, talking about what a horrible city it is. And uh, Mark Meadows just sitting silent. You know, Cummings hadn't made any comment about it. He's sitting silent. Who, who I think Elijah Cummings is a very class act. And, uh, you know, Mark Meadows, if he had a little bit of integrity, um, he would, uh, you know, he, he would stand up and say, look, this is really uncalled for, even if, even if he's friends with the president. But I think what it really is, is is indicative of how much control Donald Trump has over the Republican Party today. You can't even stand up and criticize the president because you know that he will he will come down on you and all of his supporters will turn on you very fast. It's, it's not a pleasant situation. It's a, it's a disturbing situation politically that you've got an entire political party scared of their own president. Well, really, now that we discuss it a little bit, I see parallels with Lindsey Graham and John McCain, who were you know, supposed to be best friends in the Senate. But once the president turned his ire on to John McCain, you know, it took a lot to get John uh, Lindsey Graham to stand up for his friend. And that was even reaching, you know, beyond the grave at the, after he John McCain died. I think the president was still critical of him. And it was 
you know, kind of striking to see Lindsey Graham again, is supposed to be really good friends with John McCain takes a lot for him to say a single word, which seems to be the case, I guess, with this um, Cummings and Mark Meadows. That's a great point. You know, it's really become a spineless party. I mean, these people clearly don't have a whole lot of loyalty to anybody but Trump. And, and I don't even know if it's loyalty. It's a fear of Trump because he has so much control over the party and that his criticism of them could lead to primaries or, or, or other damage to their reputation. That's a sad state. I do wonder, so I, I was reading a bit about this whole debacle and one uh, article about it from The Hill, which is a difficult site to navigate, but David Axelrod tweeted about the Trump tweets and said, if Donald Trump loses in 2020, this will be why every single day he subjects the country he's elected to lead to a stream of ugly, divisive bombast. Um, I don't know that that's true. I feel like everybody sort of knew he was going to be like this when he was elected. Do you think that his election will hinge on him continuing to behave basically, in my opinion, the same way he behaved on the election trail? Well, I, I, I do think that there are people that elected him that thought that he would get better. I mean, and, and they may have not been the most informed voters, um, but I think there are people that, that voted for Donald Trump that, that are not really happy with what they bought into. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that the, I think Trump wants to be arguing about race and, 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 immigrants and that type of thing. And I think to some degree, Democrats take that bait, but, but the conversation should not necessarily be about pointing at calling everybody racist. It should be talking about how he's demeaned the presidency and, and really demeaned the country. I mean, he, he's, he is, he is a, he is a president who's thriving on dividing and insulting his fellow Americans. That's what's wrong. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I think people, reasonable people see that. And, and I think that's what, what, what Democrats should be focusing on. I mean, I don't think you can get away from making this, this election a referendum on the president. But let, let's not argue about the definitions of racism. Let's argue the fact that this guy, regardless of who you are and where you stand, this guy has been awful in, in, in the, the way he's talked to people um, the way he's divided this country and, and the way he's just clearly demeaned people um, that he disagrees with and, and, and has really behaved immaturely. And I think that could, could be a defining feature of the race if, if we don't get caught up in the details of uh, kind of exactly what he's saying. Well, I think that segues a little bit into a good final topic for us. Uh, I saw a poll today, I think Quinnipiac, that had Biden back up uh, higher than he has been uh, of late. And I wonder if you think there's any indication that that he's shoring up some support that might have wavered a little bit. I know we're going into two debates this week that is probably going to set off another month-long narrative about Biden's candidacy but he really does seem to be standing separate from most of the field in terms of how he would run against the president. And uh, it seems like, to your point, a lot of people took a chance on voting for Trump and only 80,000 votes across three states swung the election toward him. So I wonder if 
the electorate has an appetite for somebody like Joe Biden that's basically running on the idea that we'll bring things back to normalcy for a few years, or if there's really going to be an interest in big structural change that I think most of the other candidates are running on, like Elizabeth Warren, for example. Yeah, I, well, I think I think you know I'm not sure Biden's the greatest messenger, but I think his message is right, and and I think you know people right now we're. I don't think they're looking for huge structural change. I don't think they're looking for anything that's going to disrupt their lives overwhelmingly. I mean, 60% of the country, more than 60% of the country feels like the economically we're headed in the right direction. They're, they're, or they're satisfied with where they are. And that's, that's the highest number since long before the, the recession a decade ago. And, you know, we have, I think Democrats should be very comfortable, very careful. I mean, Remember, Barack Obama basically ran on a on a slogan, hope and change, with no details, no specifics, and won the largest victory we've had in 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 decades. I mean, he's the only president I remember that won both the, the electoral college and the majority of the votes, probably since Reagan, I guess. But um, maybe maybe George H. W. Bush, but uh. You know that's that's a that's something that they should look at. It was not full of a whole bunch of very specific policy proposals. It was it was it was a sense of we've got to get the, we got to make this country better again. And I think that's what Democrats should be looking at right now. It's it's more of a rejection, I think, of of Trump's personality and the way he conducts himself um, more than in than big policy things. And I think the one policy thing that is real is that that people understand that we've got to get a control on the cost of health care. We, we can't continue to watch uh, health care increase a lot faster than wages are. Um, but but other than that, I think this idea of trying to to trying to convince people that it's time to restructure large segments of society is probably of our economy is probably not a great message to run on in this particular economic environment. I, I have noticed a narrative that I think is true where Elizabeth Warren is taking away a lot of support from Bernie Sanders, but I think she couches her message, even if they're close ideologically, she talks about fixing capitalism and repairing it and making it work for everybody. And I think his is a lot more a message of completely changing how the government works and the economy works. So I think maybe that's a a nice middle ground for a candidate. And to my mind, I think uh, for, uh, Biden and uh, Warren are, are the two top contenders. I haven't really seen much out of Harris. I know she had put a proposal out the other day that was panned pretty widely where to you know get money from your student debt, you had to open a business in a low income neighborhood. It was like all these qualifiers that basically made it impossible to actually do it. And it just seemed like an oddly specific plan that didn't have much many teeth. But I guess we'll see this week whenever the debate comes back, because everybody's going to have the knives out for Biden, I imagine. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think your point about Warren is right. I, I'll be honest, watching the candidates right now, Warren's running the best campaign I, as far as the primary goes. I think she, you know, she, she's she's created a space that she's owning and it's uh, it's it's very policy oriented. I'm not sure it's the greatest thing to run against Trump. 
but it certainly uh, compares better than Bernie. And I think you're right. She's talking about an economy that works for everybody. Sanders keeps saying, we need a revolution. We need a revolution. And I think that scares a lot of voters. So, you know, um, I, you know, I think you're right. I, the one thing Harris did release, and I haven't even looked at it to just in the last hour or so, um, released a new Medicare for all plan. I think she's trying to run to the center, but she has really had a hard time getting traction when she really, I thought she would be the clear front runner at this point. Right. Well, we'll see after this. Like I said, I, I believe this next set of debates will probably set the pace for about another month or so as we creep closer to the um, first primaries next year. So I think that's good for today. We'll wrap it up and uh, see what happens later this week. I know the gerrymandering case ended Friday, so there should be some sort of decision on that relatively soon, I imagine. Yep. Uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see when that comes down. I, I don't know what the schedule for it is. And then I guess the next thing is, is, is where does it go next? Does it go to appellate court and then Supreme Court? Does it go straight to Supreme Court? Seems like if it gets too caught up in the court system, it's going to be way too late to redraw districts before 2020. Well, and that's been an MO before for the uh, Republicans is, you know, if it's in the courts past the election, you don't have to run on new maps. So that's another thing to look out for. You're right. Um, Okay. Well, thank you for taking a little time out today to join me. We will be back later this week with another update. Thanks a lot, Kirk.